All right, we are continuing on our study of, of the Holy Spirit. All of this comes out of the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 14, verses 14 to 16, where Jesus tells his disciples that he is leaving, but another comforter will come. And as we've talked about the Holy Spirit, we recognized that he's every bit an entity, just as Jesus was an entity, and God, Father God is an entity. These are not just mysterious spirits or waves or metaphysical forces. They are, re in reality, a presence that's with you. That's when you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and sa Savior, uh, God seals you with the Holy Spirit. It means he puts the Spirit of God actually in your heart. You're sealed with it. And so what does that mean when you're sealed with it? It means that the Holy Spirit is in you and walks with you. And, and we've talked about the fact that, that uh, yes, you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, but you need to have a continual refilling constantly in your life because we walk in an evil world and we leak out of the Spirit. And so we need to say, God, regularly, Lord, fill me, Lord, touch me, raise me up, give me, give me your, your Spirit. Uh, uh, and truthfully, I do this every, every Sunday morning when I'm driving to church because so many times I'll feel my, that I'm inadequate in so many ways. I think so many people are looking for me to say something positive. And, and uh, you know, I can do the best that I can do. I can study. I can research. But at the end of the day, it's all flat. It's zero uh, if, if the Holy Spirit doesn't inspire. And so I constantly ask God to do that. And that's the way we should live. And he will honor that. He will, he will do that. And so when you, when you do this in your life, you're going to see that you will begin to exhibit the fruits of the Spirit. And we talked about the, the, the biggest fruit of the Spirit last week, which was love. We spent the whole week talking about love, how significant the love of God. You have the love of God within you. Now, I know some of you are saying, ooh, he doesn't know me. He doesn't know me. I don't feel very loving. Uh, and... I would say this, that if you find yourself being bereft of love, then you need to ask God to refill you with the Holy Spirit. Because if you are refilled with the Holy Spirit, the love of God will begin to come out of your life. You'll begin to show, show so many of these fruits in, in so many ways as you reach out, not only to those who are your Christian brothers and sisters, but beyond that, even to people who may not be kind or gentle or deserving of love. You will do it anyway because that's what God did. And so we spoke about that. So love trumps everything. Love trumps even the gifts of the Spirit. It's better that you be filled with love than be a preacher or a teacher. All right? How's that? Maybe you're not thinking that way. Maybe you'd say, oh, I'd rather be, I'd love to be a big evangelist somehow. It's better that you be filled with love. Because if you don't have the love of God in your heart, everything else that you are doing is going to have a zero impact. Who cares? Who wants to listen to some great uh, uh, intellectual who can put words together if the guy doesn't have love? I'm not interested in that. I'm only interested when I see the love of God in somebody's life. Then I know that they're, that they're Holy Spirit inspired. Uh, and that's really then when what they do, the, the outreach for God resonates because you know that. And so this is what we're talking about now, the fruits of the Spirit. And every fruit that I talk about now, you have it within your heart. Now the question is, are you raising it up? 
Are you developing it? Are you allowing God to come in and to encourage it and to affirm it and to raise it up? That's what this is about. You have the seeds within you. So last week was love. Now we're going to talk about joy. And you'll look at the outline. You'll see this uh, in the outline, point three. Now, joy uh, is a virtue that corresponds in the Christian life to happiness. But here's the difference. Here's the difference between Christian joy and happiness as the world describes happiness. Happiness, in the, as the world describes it, is, is an, an emotion that is only related to your current state of events. You know, things are going well, I'm happy. Things are not going so well, I'm not happy. You understand the difference? It's, it's a state of mind related to your physical state at the time that you're talking. Things are going well. Things are good in your life. Everything's on an upbeat. You're a happy person. All of a sudden, things are not going so well. Them dark days come into your life. Now you're not happy. But Christian joy is completely different. Uh, Christian joy is not dependent on circumstances. Christian joy remains and abides with you through all circumstances. Now, let me make this clear so you understand it. It does not mean that you act like you had a lobotomy, all right? You have not been lobotomized. But what it means is you have an overwhelming sense of the fact that God holds you in his hand. That nothing that you will go through, I don't care what it is, nothing that you go through is not within the will of God. Now, sometimes we don't understand the will of God. I'm going to say sometimes. Probably most times we don't understand the will of God in our lives, especially when things happen that we wouldn't choose to happen. You know, we all want to be up here in the high points, and sometimes we can't be on the high points because God has some other plans for you to impact people that you may not have known, and maybe the only way that would happen would be in a hospital. All right? I can't articulate it. I don't know why. I'm not God, and neither are you. And so I bow before his sovereignty. But here's the thing. We have an overarching sense of joy to know that we are within the will of God. Can I get an amen on that? And so I want you to understand that. I want you to know that that joy is in your heart. And if you're not feeling that joy in your heart, then again, this is a sense of when you come before God and say, Lord, fill me with your spirit so that I have this sense of joy. Because he'll give it to you. It's there. He just wants you to ask for it uh, and to have that spirit nurtured. Now, I try as much as I can to try to find uh, examples uh, of where this uh, overarching sense of joy takes place. And I think a good one is in Acts chapter 16, verse 22. This is Paul and Silas in prison. And when you study Acts and study Paul and Silas, uh, or Paul and Barnabas, you will find that often, certainly as it relates to Paul, he was in prison. He was in prison. In fact, when he tr ultimately, uh, he spent two years, really, as he was traveling to Rome, as, as God touched his heart to travel to Rome, where he effectively was in chains for two-plus years. In chains, but all within the will of God. And so here we look at Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas, they had been ordered... They had been ordered not uh, to, to speak on behalf of Jesus, not to do that. And so if you look at Acts chapter 16, uh, 
beginning at verse 22. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates uttered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in, in stock. So let's get this picture. Let's get this picture. They're uh, beaten. They're whipped. They're flagellated. They're then put into prison. They're put into the darkest, deepest part of the prison. And not only that, but as they're put into the cell, they're put into stocks. Their head and feet are in stocks. How you feeling? Feeling good? It's a good day? It's a good day. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. This is exactly what I had in mind when I signed up for this trip. All right? You're having, I mean, think of you. I know that some of you are having a, maybe a little bit of a down day today. You know, a little bit down. How's this? This down for you? All right? And by the way, this is the guy who's going to write two-thirds of the New Testament. All right? Two-thirds of the New Testament. He's, where is he? He's in the back part of the jail. Beaten. Whipped. Hands. Head. Feet. In stocks. Yeah, exactly. Now it's verse 25. Let's understand. Now I'm going to show you the joy of the Holy Spirit. This is it, man, in a way I can't even possibly articulate it. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And let me stop and say to you, if you want an, an analysis of how the Holy Spirit comes into your life, there it is. All right? You've been saved. Now, how do I encourage that spirit in my life? Try praying. Try speaking to God. Try singing some hymns or listening to music that would encourage you, uplifting music. There they are in this jail, praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Now, I can't, I can't define any better the issue of joy than that, because there they were in the darkest, darkest way that any human being would describe a physical presence. And yet, as that, that presence was described, you see that the overwhelming sense of the joy of the Holy Spirit has come into their life and they are singing hymns to God. God is using them to preach to many prisoners. Preach, that's right, in their demeanor, in the way that they approach evil, in the way that they raise themselves over what normal human beings would be crushed with. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Now look at the result of all this. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. How's that? That's pretty good for you? The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. And that was typically what the punishment would be if you had been told that your job is to keep these people in prison. You'd be put to death if they escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here, the jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Amen. They didn't preach. They didn't preach to him. But he saw the overwhelming sense of joy in their life, and he saw the manifestation of the power of God as the prison doors were blown open, the chains fell off, and no one left. Oh, my Lord. What an amazing thing. Uh, I mean, really, 
and, and, you, and, and you see this, this passage. Um, and, and so then they said, they replied, what must I do to be saved? And look at this. This is another example of the simplicity of the gospel. You know, a lot of times we think, all right, you want to be saved? All right, hold on, let me pull out my list of things. There's nine things that you have to say. I got to take you down the Roman road, okay? All right, I got to do X, I got to do Y, then we got to find some water because I got to baptize you in water. I got a whole list of things here. It's not so easy to be saved. You got to go through things. Let me tell you something. It is absolutely easy to be saved once you submit your life to God. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. What? That's right. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Meaning that God would grant his graciousness to them. Not only would salvation come to them, but his household would have the opportunity to be saved as well. Um, and then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and the others in his house. Uh, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds, and immediately he and his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house. How about that? The jailer brings them back into his house all right, and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy. Underline it. You understand? Do you see what happens when the Holy Spirit takes residence? Filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. That, my friends, is the definition of joy. It's very different from happiness. Happiness comes and goes. Happiness is dependent on the circumstances, but the joy of God stands there. And I told you that when I walk down hospital uh, hallways and I go in rooms when our people are in there and I, they can be suffering from a terminal disease, uh, and yet you see the joy of God in their hearts. What a gift he has given you. What a gift he has given you, because here's the thing, we're all going to die at some point. We all face death, but the fact is that God has so filled us with this joy that we understand exactly, we understand exactly what's hap what our destiny is uh, in this world, is to be with Jesus. That's our destiny, it's to be with Jesus. And so be mindful of that. You have this within you. It's there. And so if you're not feeling it, it's not properly expressed you need to pray. You need to be put, putting yourself in communion with God. You need to read the scriptures more, and you need to ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Fill me with the Spirit, Lord. May, may, may my life shine. Let, may, may I have this characteristic exhibiting itself in a, in a more powerful way. Do that, Lord, for me. Next up is peace. Peace. And peace is God's gift to mankind. Uh, before the cross, we were at war with God. Now we are at peace because God has made peace with us through Jesus Christ. When you came to accept Jesus Christ, you bowed in submission to Jesus Christ. God took you from, from being a rebel at war with God, lost to the kingdom of God, instead he now poured the blood of Jesus over you. He sealed you with the Holy Spirit, and you now are within the family of God. You are no longer at war with God, and you are now at peace. And peace is one of the great elements uh, of the fruit of the Spirit that comes into your life. And so we are to show that peace in all circumstances. We are to show it in all circumstances. I want to show you the first time the peace is mentioned, really, as a gift from God 
through the coming of Jesus Christ. Turn to Luke chapter 2. Verse 12 we'll start with. This is, this is Jesus now uh, being born in a manger. And so the angels, the angels are now uh, preaching about what Jesus will mean as they gather in the sky over the manger. Uh, and, and, and verse 11 we'll start with. Today in the town of David a Savior has, bo- has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Now, here's what the world says. This is a fraud. You know, when Jesus was born, didn't the angel say, Peace on earth, goodwill to men, Mm, mistake, bad reading, Improper con- No, 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 no. Not peace on earth. Peace to the men who are within the favor of God. You understand the difference? It's not peace to the world. In fact, Jesus told us that he would bring anything else, anything but peace to the world, that father would be against uh, brother, that uh, mother would be against son, that the families would be divided. Why? Because they families would often not accept Jesus Christ. And the evil spirits, the, the evil, would not want to be combined with people who have given their hearts to God. And so there was a, 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 sp- a spirit of rebelliousness. But when you see the announcement of the birth of Jesus Christ, you get a very different spirit. You see here, peace, uh, peace on earth to men on whom his favor rests. Is my, my translation, it means uh, to men of goodwill is another way of phrasing it, meaning men who have given their hearts to Jesus Christ. So you've given your heart to Jesus. God has given you peace. He's given you peace. There may be turmoil around you. All kinds of evil may be around you, but within your spirit, within your spirit, there should be a sense of peace. What does that mean? A sense of understanding that God is in control of your life. God is in control. And so even as evil waves over you, uh, God wants you to have a sense of peace. I want you to turn uh, to Philippians chapter 4. We'll start with verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And, underline this, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding. What does it mean? It means even when your human mind cannot grasp what you're going through, even when it is so confounding to you, there is no directness. You can't get your arms around it. You don't understand why this This is happening to your life. God has promised you peace. The peace of God will transcend it. It means that you will have a sense of comfort. You will have a sense of comfort. Again, this is in your heart. He's given you this. 
This is one of the, of the fruit of the Spirit. And so again, if you find that maybe you're, you're anxious and you're worried about things, I mean, this whole point, when you read the context about this, he's telling them, don't worry about things. Now, I know right now if I asked by a show of hands, who's worried about anything? I know nobody would be raising their hands in this group. I know nobody raised their hands in this group. This group's good. They've got no worries. Are you kidding me? There's not one of us here that isn't worried about something. All right? I want to assure you. You think I'm up here telling you I'm not worried? I'm worried. But here's the thing. I'm not obsessively worried. You understand the difference? And maybe it'll come into my mind and I'll reflect on it momentarily and I'll be concerned. But then I say, but Lord, you're in charge. Lord, you're in charge. I trust you, God. I trust you. I don't understand. I trust you, God. And then the peace of God comes into your heart. That's how this works. This is why you need to be asking God to filling you with the Holy Spirit, understanding how this works. Look, this walk that we're in as Christians, it does, it's not a mindless walk. You don't just sit there and let things, meteors coming into your head and God is doing things. You have to be an active participant in asking God to refill you. He gave you the Holy Spirit. He sealed it with you, but now the question of refilling is up to you. Lord, help me. Help me to grow. Help me to get closer to you. Help me to have a greater understanding. And you see this is this uh, issue with with, uh, peace. Turn also to Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 14, again, understanding this issue of peace that God has given you. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Now, let's understand what God is saying here. He expects us to live in peace with everyone. Live in peace. You have to ask yourself, are you living in peace? Are you demonstrating the peace of God? Because the next part of that verse tells you what happens when you do not. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Meaning what? Don't be a stumbling block. Don't you be the person that causes someone to miss the grace of God because there's a bitter root growing up, meaning meaning there's some dissension, there's some issue, and you have not basically spread the peace of God, but in some ways you've been a stumbling block and caused dissension and are causing people to miss the grace of God. That's a big deal, folks. All right? That's a big deal. So you need to ask God if something like this is coming into your life. Uh, And and honestly, as I've said to you before, one of the things that you have to do in your life when when you've been hurt uh, or you have bitterness or anger or resentment is you need to pray for that person. You need to pray for that person. I have found that only when I've been able to sit and pray for people that have deeply hurt me that I can ultimately forgive them. That until I pray for them, I mean, and legitimately pray for them, and ask God to forgive them, uh, ask God to heal them, uh, ask God to touch them, and don't ask God to destroy them. (laughs) You understand? 
I mean, that's not the prayer I'm talking about. Yes, Jesus, please, it would be good if their house collapsed on them. Uncle, that's not the kind of prayer. I'm asking you to, be, to put, put your, your feelings aside and literally pray, pray for that person. And when you do this, when you go into that prayer mode, uh, God takes the bitterness out of your life. He will take the bitterness out of your life. The poison comes away from your life. And so what does it mean? It means that the peace of God is pouring into you. The peace of God, because that's what I want for you. That's what God wants for you. He wants, to he wants you to have an overwhelming life of peace. That wherever you go, people go, whoa, look at those people. Look at that. Even when there's difficult times, look at how they seem to be at peace. They're not coming apart. They're not sitting there with overwhelming feelings of anxiety. They're not worried all 24 hours a day, but they seem to have somehow put that, those issues aside. God will take care of you. You're not hearing that from me. That's from God. He'll take care of you. He'll never abandon you. He'll be with you the rest of your life. From the day you finally let go of this world, the next step he'll be holding your hand, and the next step will be Jesus taking you into the kingdom. That's what the promise is. And when you have that peace in your life, when you have that overwhelming sense, what a way to live. Oh, dear God, what a way to live. I pray, I pray that, that, that you, you feel that. And again, if you don't, you have the seed within you, you ask God to raise that fruit to a greater degree in your life. Next up, patience. Oh, boy. I'm, I'm developing a twitch even as I read it. Patience. Oh, God, give me patience. Give me patience, Lord Jesus. I have to say this. As ugly as I may be now on this issue, I'm a lot better than I used to be. A lot better than I used to be. Uh, uh, I remember when I first came down here and I would go to Publix uh, to get food and I'd be in line and I would watch how people at the register would check out, and I would lose my mind. Well, I, why does it take an hour to check out? What is this? It's like, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm losing my mind at the register. Um, I told you stories of being at the Fifth Avenue coffee shop, um, and my wife is already making a face. It's an indication of the lack of patience uh, in my own life, but I tell you this because I'm, exactly, I'm telling you this because this is a testimony of, for me to let you know that God still loves you even when you're imperfect on these things. I'm down at Fifth Avenue Coffee Shop about a year ago, it's in February, and normally we go in there every day, we walk right up to the counter and get coffee. But now it's February, you know what happens in February. <laughs> the line is out to the sidewalk. Now, to compound it, I see these guys dressed in these spandex bicycle sausage suits. <laughs> I'm being tempted. I can't believe these guys can fit into these sausage suits. And some of these guys are in their 70s and they're in the sausage suit. And now they're lining, they're lining up in front of me, and I'm, I'm out to the sidewalk, and now it's taking me like 20 minutes to get a cup of coffee. I'm, I'm going up, this guy's right in front of me on a, with a sausage suit. And just as we get to the register, another one of his compatriots, also dressed in a sausage suit, comes over to him and gives him a list. Joe, Joe, here, here, put this order in for us. It was like 20 items. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> 
boom, explosions. I'm back in New Jersey. And what happened next, you will not believe. This guy, after he turned the list and I'm sucking in air to blow out a bomb, this guy looks at me and goes, John, we just love your Bible study. You understand why God wants you to have patience. Do you realize the damage I could have done, the stumbling block I could have been when my Bible teacher has just blasted me on Fifth Avenue, all this love that he talks about, all this love, and he's just blown me out into the street, all right? And yet God saved me, you see? God saved me. And that's when I understood uh, the, the Lord's Prayer when it said, and lead me not into temptation. You understand it now? If you think of nothing more today than understanding what that verse means, lead me not into temptation. I was on my way into doing a lot of damage. But God intervened. Uh, and I, I thank God that he did. And so the, obviously this is a problem. The patience is the virtue of putting up with others even when that virtue is severely tested and tried. Look, that's what patience is. You're in this world. There's all kinds of things that are going to come across you. You're going to be aggravated and disgusted. You're going to want to lash out. Maybe not you. You people are different. <laughs> you people are different. You're long-suffering, all right? But this is a virtue that God has given you. So when you say, I don't have any patience... I don't have any patience. No, what you're saying is I've suppressed the fruit of patience that God has given me in my life. He's given me the fruit, but instead I've turned it down. Why? Because I like, I like wreaking havoc, right? I like saying what's on my mind. I like cutting people down to size. Oh, well, maybe it's just me, I guess. It's only me that does that. Instead, you realize what God is saying in, in patience, what, what he's saying. God has shown the greatest patience in his dealing with mankind. We're at war. His very creation has shakes his fist at him. How do you like that? The very creation that God created is sitting there in open, notorious rebellion, shaking his fist at God, and God does not destroy us. I mean, really? What would you do if you were God? I think I'd wipe the whole world out. I'd rapture those that were his children. I'd pull them out. Boom! The rest that would be gone. I want you to understand something. Turn, if you would, to 2 Peter chapter 3, and this will be the the closing uh, issue that we do today, 2 Peter chapter 3, and you'll bring the outline back next week because we've got a lot more to do. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, and I want you to understand this when you're dealing with God. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord. A day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. What does that mean? It means to God, he doesn't keep time the way you keep time. That he is long-suffering. That a day to God is like a thousand years. 
And a thousand years is like a day. It's a very profound verse there. Verse 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. That's the promise. There will be a day of reckoning, but God loves you, and he is patient with you. And so even as we pray for your children, for your family members to come to faith, I want you to understand the Lord is patient. He is patient, far more patient than you are, all right? You think of what you did in your life before you came to faith and how he dealt with you. Think about it. Think about all the various types of judgment that should have befallen on your head, and yet God has forgiven you. It is through the patience of God. So I want you to think about that. As you, as you know that you have this very fruit in your life, you have it. Don't say, I'm not a patient person. The, rather, the better way to say it is, I have not allowed the spirit of patience that God has given me to have reign in my life. And so, Father, I ask you to fill me with the Spirit, to help me to come to terms with that. Allow me to have a greater spirit of patience. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for, for the words that you've given us, for how they've touched our hearts, Lord. We know that this is your message. And so, Father, I, th I ask you that this resonate with us this week, that we reflect on it, that we pray on it, that we put it into work, Lord, in our lives, that will help us to change our lives, help us to get closer to you, Lord, in every possible way. Bless our people, protect them this week, and bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word. Lord, we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless.